Hi, how are you this morning? There's so much going on here, and it's so exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful that you're a part. I, I pray that you feel a part. I, I pray that God is moving you in, in, in some direction to be a, uh, a part of helping or serving or, or learning or whatever it is that God has in store for you. Would you please turn with me to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Uh, last week, um, boy, I was a real big crybaby. Uh, if you thought I was bad in this service, you should have seen the second one. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, when I wrote the message, it, it seemed seemed okay. It, it seemed like it was uh, all right. It seemed exactly kind of what I thought the Lord would have for us. But um, obviously it became quite personal to me and became quite a, um, a, a part of my heart and soul. And, and uh, I really got passionate um, and I apologize if I uh, uh, offended anyone in any way, shape, or form, or if I, uh, I got too weepy. I try not to do that. I really don't like to do that. And um, I, I tell you what's, what's difficult about something like that. Um, it's, it's one time one of, my, one of my heroes in the faith, I was visiting him at his church. He's a pastor of a church. I won't tell you who he is because of the, the conversation that we had. And he, he asked me, how do you do multiple messages how do you make them fresh and I said well I, I, he number one was my hero it was hard for me to tell him anything and I said well I don't do anything by chance I write down everything word by word that I want to say I mean absolutely word by word he said well I don't do that and he says it's kind of my thought by thought and I said well no I do word by word, and, and so what I say is right there before me. And so if I say it in one service, I, I, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to say it in the next service or not because it's right there on the paper in front of me, and, and I don't usually go off of that track that, that often. I, I said, but there is one problem, and I'll tell you what the problem is. There is a problem, and I learned this a long time ago. I am not by nature funny. I am by not nature a person that will make people laugh. I'm, I'm no Neil. Neil, Neil gets us going all the time. He's very, very outgoing and wonderfully funny, and I am not. Uh, so every once in a while, I'll say something during the service that makes you laugh. And I think, whoa. And so I, I take note of that, and I, I can't wait to get it to the next service, you know, and, and get him to laugh. And usually it falls flat on his face and and that's very embarrassing the first few times that happened to me i was it really threw me off and i've uh, i've learned that um even laughter comes from him and and i have no control over any part of what god does in this but last week was was one of those moments in my uh, preaching life that um well it, it my son tells me dad it is what it is so I will leave it at that. This particular week is really a wonderful, wonderful uh, section of Scripture because it's so practical. We're in uh, 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and we're going to look at from verses 1, which we took care of last week, and we're going to look to verse 7. And what we are going to look at is the very character of who we are to be. Now, now granted, in, in 1 Timothy... We're talking about the character of an elder and or a pastor. But as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, this, this whole section of Scripture is for all of us. It, it should be for young or old, 
man or woman, single or married, it matters not. Every single one of us ought to try to become the most that we can become in our walk with our Lord. In fact, what we are to become, we, we learn from Scripture that we are to be conformed into the image of whom? Of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that's a tall tale, a task for me. I try not to tackle that very often. I, I would love to be conformed into the image of my Lord, but I, I feel more comfortable thinking about David. Now, David did some things that I haven't even thought about doing yet. Uh, and, and, and Paul? Paul got off to a terrible start in his walk, in his life. He, he did the most despicable thing to believers. And, and, and what I learned from both of those men, especially David, David, the Bible says, became a man after, after what? God's what? Own heart. Even though he did the things that he did. And we look at the life of Paul and we see that Paul got up off of the floor, off of the ground, so to speak, and, and dust himself off and started to walk with Christ. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I can do that. I thank God for 1 John 1, 9, as I'm sure that you do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us, right? From all unrighteousness. And so we have a very all-forgiving Savior. And that is a wonderful thing to note. And when Peter asked the Lord, listen, Lord, how many times do we have to forgive these people? Five times? Seven times? How many? The Lord said, what, 70 times seven? In other words, every time. And so I, I recognize and realize that our Lord can forgive us every single time if we'll just go to him for forgiveness. So this section of Scripture is, is, is really for all of us. It isn't just for, yes, it's written just for an elder, just for a pastor. This is clear. But it is also something that all of us ascribe, ought to ascribe to. All of us ought to try to become a, a man or a woman with the character of this type of person. Now let's remember. Last week, if you can remember at all, Paul said nothing about our duty. He was concerned with our, our character he was concerned with our virtue, our, our, our morality, our, our spirituality. Those are the necessary foundations of who we are and what we do, whether it be within our church or whether it be within our own homes, our lives. And we said in verse 1, there were two really key, wonderful words, and they were aspire and desire. To aspire and to, to desire was a was someone who outwardly would pursue ministry, but also have this driving compulsion, this driving passion that comes from within. The word aspire, we said, was from a Greek word, O-R-E-G-O. It was a, a rare word. It meant to, to reach out after it. It actually was to strain, trying to stretch, to reach after something. Whereas the word desire was from the Greek word E-P-I-T-H-U-M-E-O, it, it, it meant to have a, a passion that, that comes from deep within. And so what we saw, that the call of ministry was marked by both, both an inward-consuming passion, that desire, and a disciplined outward pursuit, the aspiring to become. 
I stole this next phrase out of one of the commentaries. Um, I mentioned it last week and I mentioned it again this week. For this type of a person who aspires and desires, uh, ministry is not the best option. It's the only option. We're compelled. Now what I want to ask of you this morning is when we read through this section of Scripture from verses 1 to 7 that, that you would consider in your heart, even though you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't think that I'm going to be an elder. I don't, I don't think that I'm, I'm going to pastor a church ever. That that ought not to hold you back from, from becoming this type of a person with the character traits that are mentioned in verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read, please, this phenomenal place in the Word of God. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 3, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then, in other words, a pastor, an elder, must be above reproach. Note, he must be the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable. The word is uncontentious in the, the old New American Standard Bible. He ought to be free from the love of money. Verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care or take care of the church of God? Also, it says in verse 6, he ought not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Oh, Father, these, these character traits are, are things that each and every single one of us here can ascribe to. These are virtues, Father, that can carry us and serve us well if we understand what you're trying to say. And so, Father, may we move it aside from just being a message to a pastor or an elder. On the contrary, dear Father God, let it be a message to each and every single one of us that we might understand that, that you, Father God, you demand far more than leadership within each of our lives. You demand a moral and spiritual lifestyle that, that reaches out and loves others and cares for others and makes us the type of person that you truly have created us to be. Would you open up all of our eyes, dear Father, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And would you move me aside? For this moment in time, dear Father, let us allow ourselves to hear from and, and, and see your words that we read within the pages of the Bibles that we hold. And, and may your word, dear Father, move into our heart of hearts helping to mold us and, and create us and, and to make us into the type of person that you've wanted us to be from the very beginning. 
So teach us, dear Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Simply put, verse 2 really says it all. Paul demands that, that this type of a person must be, as you note in verse 2, he must be above reproach. We must take great care in our lives, yours and mine, to be a person who is above reproach for many reasons. For those who are up front, let, let's say you're a teacher of a, of a class, you're a teacher of a group of people, well, let me boil it down to, at this point, a, a pastor or an elder. The reason that we must be above reproach is because, first and foremost, we're a special target of Satan. He desires to assault a pastor, an elder, someone in leadership continually with, with more severe temptations than most. Listen, please, those on the front line of any spiritual battle will bear the brunt of satanic opposition. The arrows come with great force, and they come with great regularity. Remember when we studied in Ephesians? You don't need to turn there because you're going to remember it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 and verse 16. It says, finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. And then he tells us to do something Paul does. What? Put on what? Amen. Put on, he says, the full armor of God so that, he says, you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 16, Paul says this, in addition to all, take up that shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Yeah, the attacks will come unrelentingly. The second reason that any leader should have this armor on and, and, and be above reproach because if a leader falls, there is great potential for harm because Satan knows that if a, a leader or a shepherd falls, it will affect the sheep and it will become devastating. Some of us know those who have been in ministry and have fallen from grace and it's been devastating to the people. Thirdly, and I think so importantly, if a leader falls into sin, they become the epitome of hypocrisy. I mean, if a pastor or a preacher is worth their weight in salt, they, they've been preaching against the very sins that they have committed. And so for, for you and I to protect ourselves, just for all of us, we must spend time in the study of God's Word. Turn with me. Look, look at the next page. Look at chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, would you please? And, and look at verse 6. It's, it's such a great verse. Paul is saying to Timothy, in pointing out these things, verse 6 of, of chapter 4, in pointing out, he says, these things to the brethren. In other words, when you point out these things to the people you're preaching to, you're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus constantly nourishing on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 119, verse 11, Thy word, he says, I have treasured in my heart so that I might what? So that I might not sin against thee. 
Thy word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. For safety's sake, folks, you and I must continually expose ourselves to the light of God's word. And we must find people within our group that, that hold us accountable to walk in the fashion that God has so desired for you and me to walk. Accountability is, is great within the family of God. Now, as we're going to see from verses 2 through 7, there are some particular things that we're to hold on to to remain, quote-unquote, above reproach. And there are moral character, there are home lives, there are spiritual maturity, and there are reputation. Look, verses 2 and 3. Let's read them again. Of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer then, or you and I, we must be above reproach. He goes on to say that we ought to be uh, faithful to our mate. In fact, it shows here in verse 2 the very reason why a pastor or an elder must be a man. They are to be the husband of one wife, faithful to their wife. And if you're not married, then you ought to be a man who treats all women with great respect and honor. You are to be, in verse 2, as it says, temperate. That Greek word is N-E-P-H-A-L-I-O-S. It literally means wineless or unmixed with wine. Proverbs 20, verse 1 warns, A wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. This is not in my notes, but it came to my mind when I was younger, before I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I, the one thing I did not have trouble with was drinking. I just didn't like the taste of it and never drank much. Never. In fact, when, when I used to hang out with my friends in Hawaii, every place that we went to, every club that we went to, every ten, bartender there knew when I ordered a drink, it wouldn't be with any alcohol in it. They, they, they did it. I, I met with them on the side. I told them this a long time ago. They knew me well. No, no alcohol. Just give me a drink. I'll pay full price. I'll tip you good. But just don't give me any alcohol. I just didn't want it. But I didn't want my friends to think I was a wimp. That's it. Bottom line. So I, I didn't have any alcohol. There was one guy I got to know pretty well. If I told you his name, you'd, you'd really know him very, very well. He was quite famous, to be honest with you. We'd go out with him, and we'd, we'd do whatever we did in Hawaii, and, and he was fine unless he ordered wine. If he ordered a bottle of wine, my buddy and I would look at each other, and we'd say, didn't we have to be somewhere? We would leave because... Trouble was about to take place in about an hour. This guy could not, he could drink everything, but not wine. And the moment he ordered wine, I was gone. Because I didn't want to get into any brawling, any fighting, or any, any kind of that type of uh, attitude. Temperate. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. That jumps 
ahead. We've not touched everything in verse 2, but it jumps us ahead to verse 3, which says we are also not to be addicted to wine or pugnacious. The word pugnacious means not giving in to arguments or to physical violence. But rather, it says in verse 3, this person is to be gentle. Gentle. That word means gracious or one who easily pardons human failure. Not a great statement. In other words, quick to forgive. One who easily pardons human failure. Uncontentious translates A-M-A-C-H-O-S in the Greek. It means peaceful or reluctant to fight. It refers not so much to physical violence, but rather someone who is not quarrelsome. Have you been with a person like that? Have you been with people that just seem to bring a, a, a healing salve to every situation? They're just, they're just peaceful, gentle, not quarrelsome. Let's go back to verse 2. It talks in verse 2 that, that after he is temperate, he's also to be prudent. That, that word means well-disciplined. It means someone who is serious about spiritual matters. All the while, in verse 2, after prudent, he is to be respectable. That word is K-O-S-M-I-O-S. It carries the idea of order, being orderly. Prudent, respectful, is a person who is disciplined, has an orderly lifestyle. Do you have that? Disciplined, an orderly lifestyle. I love also the next word in verse 2. It is that person is to be hospitable. It is P-H-I-L-O-X-E-N-O-S. It's a compound word. It, it takes two Greek words and mixes it into one. It means to love and strangers. Hospitable is someone who has a love of strangers. Ever met someone like that? You never met my mom. I used to warn guys, if I introduce you to my mom, she'll want to kiss you. No, not, not on the cheek. She'll get you right in the smacker. My mom never met someone she didn't know. My mother was a hospitable woman. And when she met someone, she'd grab you like with, she'd grab your cheek and give you a kiss. <laughs> Every time. A love of strangers, hospitable. I've been at people's homes that they just seem to have the gift of hospitality. It is, it is such a treat. It's such a blessing just to be in someone's home where you feel so relaxed. A long, long time ago, I, I met the governor of Texas, Governor Stevens. Stevenson. It was at my, uh, my buddy's wedding. We went into his home, and again, this was a long time ago, and he sat me down, and he gave me a, a drink, and he said, relax, young man, let's, let's talk. With that, he kicked his foot up on his coffee table, and, and he said, 
kick your feet up, enjoy yourself, and make yourself at home. I felt at home the moment I met that gentleman. I could see why he was a leader of men. It was incredible. Lastly, in verse 2, is the very essence of what sets a pastor and elder apart. He must be able to teach. This qualification sets him apart from whether he be a deacon or anyone else. Teaching becomes the standard bearer of a pastor-elder. It is the primary task given to that person. He must be a teacher. In verse 3, we learn he is also to be free from the love of money. You see, the love of money is the very heart of what will motivate someone into becoming a false teacher or have false and wrong motives for ministry. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul reminded the people, he says, We never came to you, he says in 1 Timothy, uh, 1, excuse me, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, We never came to you with flattering speech. Nor, he says, did we come with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Now, we are going to teach about money. Actually, the Bible will in chapter 6. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with being wealthy. I want to teach you that, that, that there is absolutely nothing wrong with having Great wealth and, and being able to make money is a gift from God. And none of us who have that, none of you who have that ability should be ashamed of that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with money. As we're going to learn in chapter 6, it is the love of money, the desire of money that, that is, uh, is troublesome. Now, these qualities of a leader, you can be intelligent, you could be, have a great personality, be diligent, have visionary, if you would, administrative skills, be decisive, courageous, funny, all of these things. They all play a part of leadership that, that some of you have. But the most desirable quality of a leader is to have integrity. Without integrity, you have nothing. And note, Paul says in verses 4 and 5, it, it really begins in the home. We must be someone who manages our, our household well, it says in verse 4. Keeping our children under control with all dignity. He goes on to say in verse 5, If a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? You see, it's not enough for a, a pastor or an elder to have an exemplary lifestyle, a very exemplary personal life. But he must have an exemplary home life as well. Spiritual leaders are to be successful leaders in their families just as well as within the church. Managing means to preside over. In verses 4 and 5 it says our own household. It includes the family and more. It, it reaches into everything that is connected within the home. Being a good steward of your wife, being a good steward of your, your children, a wife being a good steward of her husband, of her own children. 
and then being a good steward over our finances as well. Someone who manages his family well but mismanages their money and their possessions, they would be disqualified of being an elder or a pastor. And furthermore, we must keep our children under control with all dignity. The reason being is that if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, it says, then, then verse 4, how will he care for the church of God? We are also taught in verse 6 that, that we are to be careful. One of the great dangers facing leadership is pride and conceit and falling, therefore, into the hands of Satan. And so we are taught in verse 6 that we're not to bring young, new believers into the leadership roles immediately. And, and, and just because someone is brand new in their faith and maybe older and, and maybe be successful in the business world does not mean that they are to move right in to the leadership role within a church. Placing a new convert into this position would expose them to the temptations of pride. And then too, as it says in verses 6 and 7, the snares of the devil... The word conceit is an interesting word. It, it derives its, its root meaning from smoke. It means to puff up like a cloud. Putting a new convert into a position of spiritual leadership is, is apt to puff them up. In other words, get them prideful, conceited. We need to be careful over that. We need to be careful who we place in any leadership role and for what reason. Finally, the godly character of an elder or any one of us must be manifested not only in our personal lives, not only within our churches, but we also must have, as it says in verse 7, a good reputation with those who are outside of the church. Now listen, not everyone is going to agree with our theology and no doubt, if we take a, a stand, we will, we will face antagonism when, when we do take a stand for God's truth. That, that will happen in the society in which we live. But nevertheless, Paul says, to those who are outside the church, they ought to at least recognize us as being a person of good reputation. I want to close with this verse. I, I've kind of passed over some of the verses, but I want you to turn here, and, and you don't need to hold your place in, in Timothy because we, we won't come back. I want you to look at Philippians. It's to the left. You'll just go past First, Second Thessalonians and Colossians, and you'll find Philippians chapter 2. It's such a great verse that, that Paul has for us. It talks about the society in which we live. It talks about being respectable. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. Children of God. And here's, here's that phrase again, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as what? What? Lights in this world. Are you ready for that call in your life? Of all the things that, that we have 
that we ought to be in this society in which we live, people who are above reproach, people who are a light into this world, this dark and perverse generation in which we live. When we walk out of this place, we ought to have a relationship with the people who do not know our Lord so that we would have at least a reputation that is decent with them, so that when we share the things of Christ with them, when that opportunity arises, we can be a light into their darkened world. That is as probably as, as, as strong a statement as I can leave with you this, this morning. Are you ready for that call? Whether you be an elder or a pastor or the last person in the pew at the very end, edge of the church. We all ought to walk in that light, day by day, moment by moment, to walk in the light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation that we would appear as lights to this world for the sake of Jesus Christ. Listen, I know of no greater privilege than to have people excited about knowing our Savior. For some people that you'll come in touch with, the only Bible that they might ever, ever see will be your life as it reflects Jesus Christ. Father, may we be a light in this darkened world in which we live. Father, these character traits that we just saw in verses 2 through 7, may they be something that fits into our lifestyle. But most of all, Father, that we would prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of yours, above reproach, dear Father, in this crooked and perverse generation that we now live, that we might appear as lights in this world, Leading people, Father, from darkness to light. Oh, Father God, give us that opportunity today, tomorrow, whenever you so choose. May we walk with integrity, Father, with you. And dear Father, may we walk in this integrity so that we might draw people to the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. I pray in his name, Father. Amen. I love you all so much. Have a great, great day, and thank you for being here. Can you believe summer's almost over? See you next week. See you next week.